Partially Examined Life precognitions introduce philosophical topics for upcoming episodes to give you a few weeks to do the reading yourself. They also serve as quick, standalone summaries of the work. You can read more about these topics, get the works we cover, and listen to Partially Examined Life conversations at partiallyexaminedlife.com. You're listening to the Partially Examined Life precognition for episode 85 on John Rawls's Theory of Justice. This is Seth Paskin in Austin, Texas. John Rawls was a 20th century American philosopher born in 1921 in my hometown of Baltimore, Maryland, and died in 2002. He attended Princeton as an undergraduate, enlisted after graduation, and served in World War II as an infantryman in the Pacific, where he saw the after-effects of the bombing of Hiroshima. He declined to re-enlist and returned to the U.S., where he got his Ph.D. from Princeton in moral philosophy. Over his career, Rawls taught or studied at Princeton, Oxford University, Cornell, MIT, and Harvard. Remarkably, Rawls' first major publication was A Theory of Justice, in 1971, which almost immediately and ever since has been considered a, if not the, primary text in modern political philosophy. The work has gone through numerous reprints and revisions and was subject to many critical responses over the last 50 years. Shortly before his death, Rawls published a work addressing those criticisms. Rawls opens the theory of justice by noting that the dominant theory of justice which has prevailed in Western society for the last few hundred years is that of utility. That is, justice as utility conceived of in the philosophical sense, the greatest good for the greatest number. Rawls credits the utilitarians for including a conception of justice in a wider comprehensive scheme and chides those who criticize the utilitarians on this or that specific point without providing a systematic moral conception in opposition. His goal is to provide, at least the beginnings of, a competing social theory which covers individual morals as well as social justice, beginning with the latter. What Rawls means when he says justice is social justice, as opposed to just or unjust people or just or unjust actions. Social justice is, quote, the way in which the major social institutions distribute fundamental rights and duties and determine the division of advantages from social cooperation, end quote. Justice is the first virtue of social institutions in the same way that truth is the first virtue of systems of thought. Rawls asks that we accept the following, that a society is a more or less sufficient association of individuals who recognize certain rules of conduct as binding and generally act in accordance that these rules specify a system of cooperation designed to advance the good of those who participate, and that finally there is a conflict as well as an identity of interest between individuals. There is an identity in that cooperation makes life better than possible solely if one acts by oneself in isolation, and there is a conflict in that people are not indifferent as to how the benefits of this cooperation are distributed." A set of principles is needed to determine how the benefits of this cooperation are distributed, and these are the principles of social justice. Now, individuals have an inviolability within a society that is founded on justice as well. The welfare of the society as a whole cannot override this. Justice denies that the loss of freedom for some can be made right by a greater good. And this is where Rawls takes issue with the utilitarian notion of justice and claims that his conception of justice will be built upon a foundation of social contract theory. In a just society, the liberties of equal citizenship are going to be taken as settled. 
Rights are not subject to political bargaining or social interests. A theory of justice, then, does two things. It assigns rights and duties to individuals, and it defines the appropriate division of social, which is to say cooperative, advantages. The primary role of justice is to acknowledge that what is guaranteed by the first, the rights and duties, is often impacted by the social institutions of the second. That is, within any society, there are more and less advantageous starting places which are not in any sense chosen or earned by individuals. For example, in the current American society, it is substantially more advantageous to be born a white male into a wealthy, stable family than a black woman born into poverty. This is not a moral or a value judgment. It is simply true that white, wealthy males have better life prospects the way our social institutions are set up in the way they work than poor black women. Rawls's notion is that any particular conception of justice is good insofar as it guarantees the first principle by addressing inequalities in starting positions within the second principle. It is in this sense that Rawls will call his conception justice as fairness. Insofar as he is concerned with social justice and the distribution of advantages, he is talking about distributive justice. These are terms you will hear often in connection with Rawls. The question then becomes how to determine a specific conception of justice given the theoretical framework of justice assigning rights and duties and defining division of social advantages. Rawls posits that the principles we should accept are those we would accept as individuals entering into a social contract from a position of mutual equality. That is, the principles that free and rational individuals would define as the terms of their association if they were negotiating from scratch, as it were, as equals. This is the social contract aspect of Rawls's theory, which he calls the original position. You may think of it as what Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau called the state of nature. Now, Rawls is not going to claim there ever was an original position. He wants us to consider it from our current position hypothetically as a thought experiment. The critical development that Rawls introduces is the idea that to truly hypothesize from a position of equality, individuals must not know any particulars of their position in the society after the principles have been settled. One must formulate the principles without knowing in advance whether one will be white or black, male or female, rich or poor, be a country or a city dweller, and so on. In this fashion, he believes we will jointly agree upon principles that are fair. This lack of knowledge of our resulting position in the social framework he calls the veil of ignorance. So much for the framework of Rawls's theory. The remainder of the reading which we assigned ourselves, chapters 1 through 3, is dedicated to working out his specific conception of the principles, which are, roughly, every individual has an equal right to the most extensive basic liberty compatible with a similar liberty for others, and social and economic inequalities are to be arranged so that they can be reasonably expected to be to everyone's advantage and any social roles are open to all. The first principle basically cashes out to what we currently understand as traditional liberal democratic rights, freedom of conscience, association, self-determinants, and so on. The second principle requires some clarification. Rawls explores several notions of liberty that could underlie the second principle. The first is what he calls natural liberty, which says that equality equals efficiency. The most efficient system is the most fair, therefore the most desirable. This would be because it produces the most overall advantages. 
This he dismisses because there are efficient systems where all advantages lie with one group, but which don't guarantee equal rights, for example, slavery. The second notion of liberty, which addresses a deficiency in the first, he calls liberal equality, which adds a condition of equal opportunity. That is, the most efficient system is the most desirable, provided that the opportunity for the most advantageous position within that system is open to all. This is an improvement in that it rules out a one-sided system like slavery, but it is defective in that it doesn't account for differences in individuals' natural abilities, aptitudes, and temperaments. Even if equality of opportunity is present, if an individual is not endowed with the appropriate abilities, aptitude, or temperament to take advantage of it, it's not fair to that individual. Now, Rawls is not naive enough to think that everyone is the same and the most advantageous position in a society should be something that everyone can achieve. He is committed, however, to ensure that everyone in the society be treated fairly. His remedy is to propose what he calls democratic liberty. Democratic liberty is a combination of fair equality of opportunity, as in liberal equality, with something he calls the difference principle. The difference principle simply says that inequality in opportunity or advantage is just, or fair, if you like to think of it that way, if and only if the inequality benefits everyone. Through some logic that I don't have time to go into for this summary, Rawls uses a hypothetical least advantaged individual to serve as a measure for the difference principle. If you are asking in any context whether an inequality enjoyed by someone is just, ask whether giving it to that individual will simultaneously create benefit for the least advantaged person in the same society. The idea is that it is okay to have inequality in social advantages if such inequality benefits not only the individual receiving it, but everyone. Now, rather than having to calculate overall benefit or degrees of benefit, as in the utilitarian model, to answer that question, you simply have to know whether the worst off in the society will benefit as well, or at least not be harmed in any material way. Rawls thinks that this addresses deficiencies in both the conceptual foundation as well as the practical application of the utilitarian version of justice against which he set out to provide an alternative. Now, this is, of course, only the barest of summaries, and there are many clarifications and objections which we will explore in our upcoming full episode. Thanks so much. Thank you.